Hello, Free City Church. My name is Casey, and I'm one of your pastors. I hope you haven't forgotten what I look like, and whatever you're thinking right now, picture me with more hair. If you've never been with us in person, and you're plugging in right now, I so look forward to meeting you one day. Turns out that I have answered a life question. I do not want to be a podcaster, um, but though there are benefits. I'm wearing sweats right now. I don't have to wrestle with questions like, did I make them mad when people go to the bathroom or get up to find out that all the coffee is gone? And I don't have to ask questions like, are they tweeting when people are looking at their Bible apps on their phone or wonder how long is Sheila's crochet blanket getting? And I hope it is getting long. And I actually love it. Sheila, I also pay better attention when my hands are busy. And gosh, we could all use a hobby like that right now. Most of us find ourselves with more time and nowhere to go. Except maybe on our apocalyptic zombie runs for food. Never before has it felt safe to send the youngest in with a debit card. As we get started, I want to start by updating you on a few plans um, that we have as a church. First off, being the church has not stopped. We can still be the church, and maybe more than ever. The church has always, hasn't always met in auditoriums. They did do teaching in auditoriums and symposiums from time to time, but they also did church from house to house. In Acts 2.46, 4.42, and 10.22, it says the early church met from house to house. See, us, like them, are probably in a house, or someone else's house, in a group of 10 or less at six feet apart. Or we also see in Acts 12.12, they met in Cornelius' house. Acts 16.32, the jailer's house. Acts 16.40, it was Lydia's house. Acts 18.7, Justice's house. And Paul says it again in Acts 20.20, that he did not shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. We are the church even now. We are just meeting house to house. At this time, you can expect a podcast preaching from us every week. And I don't think there's anything that keeps us from gathering safely in twos or threes for worship together in home. You can expect us to still be the church. You can also expect from us direction for your children's discipleship. I was reminded in our Bible day, in our Bible reading plan, that we have always aimed to partner with you to help you disciple your child. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 is known as the Shema. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Right there, it's, it's describing right theology and right doctrine. First, right theology. God is one. This is foreshadowing of the Trinitarian God who will be made known in the person of Jesus and in the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's also right doctrine. You shall love God. It is telling us what we should do. It is the right doctrine in what parents are supposed to do. 
It goes on in verse 7. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It says that you can teach your kids as you go everything that it means to be a Christian. It has never been our desire to disciple your kids for you. We just want to help you. Talk to them. Talk to them about what you're learning about God. Talk to them about this sermon. Talk to them about what you read. Be inquisitive and ask them questions. It won't always be awesome. At bedtime, one of the nights this week, I was reading Cruise and Live, both out of Philippians and in the second book of the Wingfeather Saga. I read to them Philippians 1, 3 through 6. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. When I got to the end of that, I was pretty excited. And I asked, what do you think about that? And Liv, she, uh, she said, um, it sounds real special. I prodded with a few more questions, but we didn't get much further than that. Real special. Sometimes that's discipleship. It's not always going to be earth-shattering. I did describe that that meant that whatever God has started in her and in Cruz, he promises that he will use everything to bring it about and he will finish it. But it wasn't earth-shattering. What you can expect, and you'll see it coming from Daniel and Whitney, is you can expect one, two Sunday morning lessons, an older and a younger these lessons will help you lead your kids. They'll have coloring sheets and talking sheets and activity sheets and some videos that go alongside. You can use the video or you can do it without the video. Instructions are on our Realm Connect page. You can also expect uh, weekly discipleship verses to walk your kids through daily verses. Simple questions. Just read it and talk about what you think about it and how it applies to your life. We have always wanted to partner with you to disciple your kids. The coronavirus and any amount of social distancing doesn't change that. You can do it. You can also expect a lot of communication from us, both on the Realm account, through social media, on our website. But mostly, we want to convey that through your city group leaders. My group is broken up into two groups, and we are pairing households together to have regular check-ins. We even have instructions on kinds of questions to ask. The goal is to know needs quickly so that we can pray and minister. Don't try to do this with nothing more than a podcast. That is not the church. Let the church in. Be a part of the church. Let us know your needs. Look around. What are the needs you see around you? Let's get into those needs. Some other things to think about. Get on the Bible reading plan. You can find it under resources at fcclawrence.com. 
Get in a city group if you're not in one. You can start off virtually. You don't even have to let a video of yourself be there. You can find the city groups at FCCLawrence.com. Get on Realm Connect so you can hear from us and know what's going on. You can find a link to that at FCCLawrence.com. Don't wait. Okay. Let's get into our new series because the clock is ticking. We're going back and we are starting a series that we did at the very, very beginning in Ephesians. And the reason for Ephesians is because Ephesians is all about the church. Ephesians is a letter that was written to the church in Ephesus or more directly to several house churches in Ephesus. Ephesus was a chief city with a population of well over 250,000 people. Ephesians is about how God is creating a new humanity through the church. It's not written like other books to instruct on any specific problem, but rather it's instruction on how to rightly believe in the gospel and how right belief in the gospel will lead to new values, goals, dreams. It'll reshape all of your life. You will change. Right belief leads to right living. If you look at Acts 19, you can get a feel for what the gospel was doing in Ephesus. The gospel was moving so powerfully and so quickly. People were leaving their old lives of pagan worship so rapidly that the stock market of idol manufacturing was crashing. It was so startling that it caused a riot. I pray. I pray we soon can relate to this. It's just happening to us in the opposite direction. The coronavirus is spreading so fast that the stock market of all our idols are crashing. Maybe we can turn to the gospel. Don't miss this. The securities and joys that we experience are gifts from God. The securities that come from government and infrastructure, they are gifts from God, but we are so quick to make those securities idols and to look at them like they are God's. But they aren't. They never have been. They aren't sovereign. They will slip. They can fail. But as they crash, can we look to Jesus? the only certain source of security and joy? Can we find him in this moment? And can we look at the reality around us that there are things in life that are fragile, but there is a deeper reality, a truer reality, a truer truth that God has foreseen all things and he is still with us. This is what Ephesians is about. Ephesians is telling us that we can be the church right now. That even when we can't gather all together, we can gather in small twos and threes and the Spirit of God is with us and the gospel is able to change us. We can look around at people and we can share with them. We can share generously because of all that we have been given in Jesus, because of the security and joy that we have. And that is what Ephesians 1 1 through 8 is telling us. Before we look at the aspects of the text, I really want to focus on, I want to pick on three words in verse 1 
that will lead us to some important doctrines of the faith, important truths that we can know when we look to the scriptures. And so look at me with Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. It starts off, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Four words, Paul, apostle, and Christ Jesus. First, Paul. Paul, also known as Saul, was an enemy of the church. But he was converted to become a huge proponent of the church when he met Jesus in Acts 9. Second, apostle. Paul, the former enemy of the church, became an apostle Paul, became a leader of the faith. Apostles are eyewitnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who were uh, commissioned by the bodily resurrected Jesus to tell others what they saw Jesus say and do. They are witnesses, and they wrote all that they saw. They wrote it down in the New Testament. But then we have of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The message we hold is Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one of God who has come to save us. Let me put that together for you. That means this, in the first few words of this, enemies of God, when they meet Jesus, become proponents of God and his kingdom. They do it by bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus and what it means. We can do that. In between our apocalyptic zombie food runs, we can tell people about our experience with Jesus. We, we, we can't write scripture, but you can read it if you get into the Bible reading plan that you can find at fcclawrence.com. You can read about it, and you can tell people how it's teaching you. Enemies turn to followers who bear witness. We can do it from house to house. Verse 1, it goes on to say, you know, by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will, the choice of God. The conversion of Saul was the will of God. The riot in Ephesus was the will of God. This, too, is in the will of God. How might God want you to think about it? How might God want to use this moment to change you? How might God want to use this moment to change your family? Or or, or your marriage. If your marriage is struggling, you've got some free time to work on it. Put down the phone. Press in to your spouse. I mean, who knows what will happen? I mean, you might have another baby. I I don't know how that works with social distancing. But I mean, you know. I mean, how might God use this to change your neighbors and friends? Enemies of God turn to followers of God who bear witness to their experience with God. It goes on and it's addressed. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints. These are former pagan worshiping witches, but they turned to Jesus. Witches who turned to Jesus. And Paul addresses them as saints. There is no making yourself up to be presentable. Jesus does that for you. Pagan witches turn to Jesus and God says, saints. God looks at them and says, saints. It goes on to say, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace 
and peace from Jesus. Gosh, I think we could use some of that. Not a bad way to start a letter. There's more that we could say about it, but we could, we could even stop right there, but we're not going to. Ephesians 1, 3 through 8 is going to tell us so much. It's going to tell us that as believers in Jesus, we already have everything, everything. It has already been done for us, and it is ours. So listen, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, even as he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the Beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This is the word of the Lord. We will look at this under three headings. I just want to ask these questions and answer them. What do we have? Verse 3, every spiritual blessing. What is it? Verse 5 and 7, adoption and redemption. How do we get it? And then all over verses 3 through 7, in Jesus, in him, in Jesus Christ. So let's get started. What do we have? Every spiritual blessing. Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. It starts off really strong. Right away, it says, you have everything. All of the spiritual blessing, you have them. I want to point out two things in, in this verse. First, it says that we already have it. In verse 3, it is in the past tense. It says, who has blessed? Past tense. This says that you already have it. And you would say, I already have it? I have what? Every spiritual blessing. It's already there. The second thing I want to point out is the word itself. Blessing. In, in verse 3, the same word is used three times. It says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The word is a compound word that literally means good word. It literally is two words, you, which is good, and logos, which is word, good word. It is where we get the word eulogy. A eulogy is a good word spoken at the end of someone's life. It is the final good word. So what do we have? If you are a Christian, there's already been a final good word spoken over your life. It is done, past tense, and it is good. A blessing. Matter of fact, it is every spiritual blessing already yours. If you're thinking, I, I don't know, I, I had so much, I, I didn't know I had so much blessing. 
This text doesn't leave you with a vague sense of blessing. It starts to describe what it is that is yours in every spiritual blessing. But it's already been established in the past. It is the final word over your life. The final good word. What do we have? Every spiritual blessing. What are the spiritual blessings? Number two, they are adoption and redemption. And there's actually a lot more in here. And we'll unpack just a little bit. This says more than just adoption and redemption. But I want to focus on adoption and redemption because those two things say so much. Number one, the spiritual blessing includes adoption. Verse five, look at verse five. It says, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It says that you are adopted into God's family, and that has a lot of implication. First off, adoption gives special access. It says adopted as sons. We, at our house, we play games like ambush. During uh, our social distancing, games like this happen more and more. We also play games like zombie. I mean, my kids have never seen a zombie movie, but when they do, it will be so confusing because they love it when I limp around and make zombie groans, and then I catch them and I gobble them up. It'll be so weird that in one sense they're terrified of what they're seeing, and yet they're filled with endearment of all the games that we play. We, we, my kids have also been playing a game that's kind of like blob tag a lot. But the bad part of it is they call it infection. Which right now, you know, my kids in the front yard yelling, let's play infection. And then touching everyone. And then they're a part of the infection. Is it the coolest thing in the neighborhood right now? But first, back to ambush. We learned this game from our cousin. It's really not that complicated. You hide in a strategic place. And when someone tries to get past you, you do everything and you use everything to stop them. You tackle and you grab and you use blunt objects to knock them down. Whatever you can do to get them to the ground, there's always lots of laughing and it usually ends with someone in tears. But, I mean, that's just a part of the fun. A gang of kids hiding, tackling, I mean... That's fun. I mean, and that's not even, that's not like a big deal. I mean, I'm just a pastor, but think about this. Adoption. The access of a son or daughter. Think about presidents. A president with young kids in the White House. Who can hide and jump out and tackle them and bludgeon them with, with, with objects? His kids. Who could run in and jump on the president while he's asleep in bed? His kids. Who could cry out in the middle of the night and the president would come running to help? His kids. His kids. His kids. This is really special access. Christians, you have been adopted in and now like a son and daughter, you have that kind of access to God. You can cry out at any time with any need and he notices and he says he will come because you are now a son and daughter of God. Because of your adoption, you are never alone. Think about that with me. You have been adopted into a family called the church. 
We need one another always, but how much more now? Look around. Don't let any of your brothers and sisters weather this alone. We need to maintain you know, safe distancing, but you can really be close with two or three. You can gather together in a house and you can worship together. You can pray for the needs of those around you. It might look a little different, but you can still be the church. You've been adopted in. You have special access to run to your father, the access that all kids should have, the access that you have as a Christian. But adoption also gives you legal standing. When you adopt a child, you are legally responsible to provide for that child. All at once, everything in the house is at their use and disposal. You know, a kid who's been adopted, who walks in, they didn't work to earn any of it, but there it is in your reach. There it is because you were adopted in. We had a single friend over for dinner this week. We're kind of making her part of our social cluster. We just didn't want her to be alone. And we are, I mean, in my estimation, we are way more of a risk for her than she is to us. I mean, it is capable for her to keep distance from us. You know, my kids run up to her, do you want to play infection? But before she came over, she asked if there was anything she could bring. And I texted back, toilet paper. And she replied, you ruined my surprise. And she brought us toilet paper gift wrapped. Like, that's an incredible gift right now. If we received all these blessings because we were adopted in, not because of our work, we need to have the feeling. We need to share. There will be opportunities to love your brothers and sisters and those who aren't yet adopted into the family of God. There will be people who are out of work and have needs. There might be people who it's unsafe for them to go to the grocery store because of their age or underlining medical condition. And we can serve them like that. We can do that. You have been adopted in. You have special access. You have legal standing to access all that is in the household of God. What else can we expect in adoption? In adoption, you can expect discipline. It says that God is a good father. So like, questions. What kind of person doesn't discipline their kids? The answer is grandparents. God is not a grandparent. Grandparents give kids whatever they want, when they want it. If God was a grandparent, all of us would be dead by the end of the week. A couple of weeks ago in our Bible reading plan, you should get in at FCCLawrence.com. We read this. Hebrews 12, 7 through 9. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if God is not disciplining you, then you're not a son. It goes on. Beside this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirit and life? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful 
rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I know there are things right now in your life that are painful. But ask, what might God be using that pain to accomplish in your life? What kind of fruit might it yield later? What kind of fruit might it yield in you, in your relationships, in your family? What kind of fruit might it yield in the life of people around you? God disciplines us because we are his adopted children. Listen to what another pastor says about our adoption. John Piper, he says this, Your adoption is not based on your fitness, your worth, or your distinctives. It is rooted in God's eternal purpose and grace. And that means that your adoption is not fragile or tenuous or uncertain. God will not adopt and then find out that you are not worthy and unadopt. He knows we are unworthy. And he chose us and predestined us for adoption. This is firm and sure and unshakable. Sons and daughters do not cease to be sons and daughters because of mistakes or bad conduct. God has promised to use all of these things to do something in you, to conform you. You are adopted so you can expect to stay adopted. And because you are adopted, you can expect God to use these things, even these uncomfortable things, things that don't feel pleasant right now, but rather painful to accomplish something in you that he won't give up. Remember, Philippians 1.6, he will accomplish what he started. He's still doing that. That was adoption. There's so much more we could say about adoption. But the second thing I want to talk about, that what this spiritual blessing is, the spiritual blessing is also redemption. Look at verse 7. In verse 7 it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. It doesn't say in him we have an example to follow. There, there certainly are exemplary things in Jesus' life, but Jesus as an example would be terrible. It would be a crushing example. We could never live up to his example. It says, in him we have redemption. Redemption is a debt paid that frees you. Redemption is, I was held under something, a weight, but then the payment was made, and now the weight is gone. I was held by shackles, but then the payment was made, and now the shackles are gone. The Bible says that we are all under a slavery of sin, Satan, and death. And whether we use those words or not, we all feel it. We all feel it upon us. We all feel something wrong, something not quite right, something that we have to outrun or outdo, something that we want to purchase away. So much of our striving is we're trying to redeem ourselves in various ways. We think that if we're successful, rich, or accepted, or if we're good mothers and good fathers and good spouses or have the perfect family, then we can purchase our freedom we can put it on one side of the scale and let it outweigh the other things that we know that are there that we just feel cling to us but 
it is actually the trying to redeem ourselves that just further enslaves us. Like, do you think that the approval of others will free you and make you okay? Like, is that the chasing of that? Is that not the thing that's killing you? It's never enough. People are never convinced. They always kind of walk away. You always have to do more. You always have to maintain the relationship. When you have to take a healthy stand, they don't get it. Like, is that freeing you? Is that working? Or some of you, when I just said that, you might have thought, how can anyone be so pathetic and shallow and live for the approval of others? You might have said, be strong and independent. Do something with your life. Okay. Like, like financial independence. You have saved and saved and invested and invested and you've looked at portfolios and what happens? A virus crosses the sea and half of it's gone in a single day. That doesn't sound very certain to me. That doesn't sound very solid. That seems fragile. And now what? Your portfolio, it's not impressing anyone. It doesn't feel safe. When you look at it, you don't find joy. It's not redeeming you from what you know is gripping you. We are changed not by white-knuckling our moral and wise choices. So how, how do we get this? Like the first question that we just wanted to ask really really plainly is is what what are the spiritual blessings and or is what is it and we get all the spiritual blessings what are the spiritual blessings adoption and redemption but how do we get how do we get it how do we get every spiritual blessing how do we get this adoption and redemption and the text is abundantly clear in the same way over and over in different, slightly different ways. It says the same thing over and over. Look at verses three through seven with me again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. In Christ. How do we get it? In Jesus. It goes on with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, even as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world. In him. How do we get it? In Jesus. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of will. Through Jesus Christ. That's like saying in him or in Christ. How do we get it? In Jesus. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him. In the beloved, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in the beloved, in him. How do we get it? In Jesus. Five times. In him, in Jesus, in Christ, through Jesus Christ, Through the beloved, in him, like in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus. You get this kind of final word over your life in Jesus. This is said emphatically. It is in Jesus that you get every spiritual blessing. Let me point out a few other things that it says. First, it says that this isn't by happenstance. God's lovingly God has lovingly thought of you and decided to reach out to you. In verse 4, it says this, Even as he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In, in, in love, he predestined us. He chose. He predestined. You might be wrestling with this reality and wonder what's going on. If God foresaw you in love, could it be possible that he foresaw this also? God has thought about you. God has seen this. God knows what it's going to do in you and through you. And he is excited about it. And I don't have to explain all that that means. I just really believe it. It isn't by happenstance. God has lovingly thought of you and decided to reach out to you. It also isn't putting, it isn't putting you on a payment plan. It's all at once. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed. I already told you that has blessed is in the past tense. That means it is already ours. It's already happened. But it isn't just the past tense. In the Greek, the verb is an aorist participle. Aorist. An aorist verb describes a single act in the past that is done. It is completed. You can't undo this final word upon your life, this final eulogy, this final good word upon your life if you are in Jesus. It has been done in the past, but it's also a participle. A participle is an ing verb, meaning it's still going on, it's still continuing, it still is working. If I said I am social distancing, I still am social distancing until you hear otherwise. The ing is a participle. The past work of Jesus, his final word over your life, is still working in our lives right now. Do you remember that family discipleship time that Liv described as real special. Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The final good word of God is still being worked out. When the markets fail, and they do, it is still being worked out. When the jobs are no more and they can be lost, it is still being worked out. When the doctors and government say stay home, it is still being worked out. When the test says positive, it is still being worked out. Live was right. It is real special. And you might ask, what was that final good word of Jesus? John 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put it on a sponge filled with sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. On the cross, Jesus paid our sin debt that pulled you from the family of God. The debt has been paid. The final word is there's no more debt. 
There's no more work to be done that can make you right before the God. There's no more work that can be done that can bring you into the adoption of the heavenly family. There's no more that can be done. It is finished. The good word of Jesus upon your life. It's all been done. It is finished. The debt has been paid. There's no more payments to be made. All who say yes to Jesus are fully sons and daughters in the household of God with every spiritual blessing already at their hand because of the final good work, the eulogy, the final good word over their lives from Jesus. It is finished. Do you have this? You know, the, the text here, it doesn't leave us with no way to know if I have this. In verse six, look at it with me. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which we see, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. See, those who have this, those who have crossed from death to life, those who have accepted the good news of what Jesus has done upon the cross, that Jesus was fully God and fully man and that he lived a life we couldn't and he died a death that we should in our place as our substitute. Those who put their hope, their trust in that, they treasure that. They, they work at loving that more than all the other things. See, those people, they have the ability to even in moments like this, to see the glorious grace in it. Glorious means heavy. To see the weighty grace of this and their hearts can sing. Can your heart sing even now? Can you praise Jesus for his heavy grace in your life right now? Can Jesus still be the, the blesser even now? If not, look at him again and look at him again and look at him again. What does this say about him? What does this say about you? Look at him again. Free City, I, I love you more than you know. And I eagerly anticipate that coming Sunday morning when we will gather together again and praise Jesus with our collective voices. Even now, Jesus is good. Even now, and maybe especially now, the church is alive and at work because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Free City Church exists to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll see you soon, Free City. Go in peace.